0: I was
1: born by the river,
0: in a little tent,
2: oh it's just like the river I've been running.
1: Live from New York City, it's the Gary Knoll Show. And now, your host, Gary Null. Hi,
2: everyone. I'm Gary Null, and I'd like to welcome you to this program. Today, we have an information packed hour the latest on health and healing, and why you should be very concerned about how much total radiation your body's receiving, and where you get a lot of that radiation, and you just don't. Realize how important it is? I'll get to that. Also today, a lot on our environment, because I'm going to tie together what's happening in Japan with other environmental issues. Then, time permitting, I want to talk about the feedlot meat down in South America and what it's doing to cause a boom in genetically engineered soy, but it's devastating the environment, and we should understand that. And then I will have my issue of the day, and I'll be going to that. That'll be an audio clip. And my guest in the last part of our program today will be Julia shopek talking about little-known health treatments that can help millions of people, including some intravenous therapies that I think you'll find of interest. Sunday night at 8 p.m., I'll be talking about natural solutions for a good night's sleep, and also how to overcome fatigue, no matter what the source of fatigue is, and then taking your calls. Let's begin. First and foremost, over the next three days, I'll be doing an original, in-depth investigative report, as well as extensive, original commentaries, my own commentaries, on our deadly nuclear legacy. This will bring together... All of the qualified science that we know to challenge those who are saying that low level radiation coming from Japan is no big deal. I've been monitoring carefully the different news outlets to see who they're having on. Are these people's backgrounds fully uh, detailed? And without exception, at least on Fox, these people are all pro nuclear. I believe this is all part of a campaign that would allow us to have some sense that we actually need these nuclear facilities, and currently Congress has just passed very quietly new legislation that would fund 200 more commercial nuclear reactors in the United States. They want us to be able to believe that we can triple our current megawatt capacity by 2040. This would cost us hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. This would indemnify the nuclear industry completely. So any mistakes in their design, any disasters, there'd be no one who would be held accountable. The GOP is behind this move, and it's talking um, mouths on television, such as, last night I watched O'Reilly and heard Ann Coulter make the most inane, unscientific, anti-intellectual statements about low-level radiation being good for you, that if you... Uh, actually had low-level radiation, or if you lived in a house with a radar, that would improve your chances of not having infections. And she cited some scientists at the University of Pittsburgh. Why film that scientist at the University of Pittsburgh? And I will offer up what I believe will be the most single, important, completely uh referenced rebuttal to all the statements that low-level radiation is safe, or we shouldn't be concerned about it, or the people in California shouldn't be concerned, a little bit of radiation hitting will mean nothing. These are all lies. But just having a Micho Kaku or a Heldon pop up and make a statement, frequently in a very time-constrained environment, and almost always the same argument, does little to challenge the steamrolling process of getting Americans to think that we actually need nuclear more so than, than solar or wind, that solar and wind are not reliable, too far off, too expensive. That's not true. So please let everyone you know who cares about your health and the environment and the truth know that beginning Monday, the most comprehensive, in-depth explanation of what radiation does from all sources in our bodies, low-level, high-level, from a nuclear reactor to a chest x-ray what it actually means to us every one of my statements will be backed by complete scientific authority I will post my white paper I intend to lock myself away for the next two days To I've been working on it all week but I intend to spend about 48 hours non-stop just finishing it it will then be posted I will have audio clips from around the world of people who will be giving their insights again all qualified people We will completely deconstruct every single argument that the pro-nuclear forces have been giving. I will show you the state of science of geothermal, wind, wave from the ocean, energy, solar, all in one. I will also show you the danger of nuclear and why every single one of the 104 nuclear facilities should be dismantled. I will take specific umbrage at the idea that no one was hurt by Three Mile Island. And the Chernobyl really was not that big a deal. How these people manipulated statistics is just amazing. There will be no personal attacks. There will be no ad hominem attacks. It will simply be a dispassionate examination of the truth. And then all of you who care about the truth can disseminate this information knowing that the statements are backed upon real science, independent science, without an ideology. That will happen Monday. You will not want to miss it. For the next three days, assuming I can complete it in three days, it may take a fourth day, but that is what we're doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and possibly Thursday of next week on this hour. You will not want to miss this and please inform everyone you know that this is coming. Because every single thing that Bill O'Reilly has said and, and all the rest have said, they're wrong. And we will show how wrong they are and the consequences. That said, <clears throat> excuse me. Let's go to the health and nutrition information, and this is rather interesting because it segues in. Now this is from mainstream science, and here is the relevant part of it. Quote: Repeated X-rayed dental, uh, dental, excuse me, repeated exposure to dental X-rays may be associated with an increased risk of developing thyroid cancer. A collaborative study of scientists from the UK and Kuwait found that the risk of a cancer rose with increasing numbers of dental x-rays. Researchers said the notion that low-dose radiation exposure through dental radiography is absolutely safe now needs to be investigated further. And they added that their study highlighted concern that dental x-rays should only be prescribed when the patient has a specific clinical need and not a part of a routine checkup. And then it went on to talk about the evidence that low-level radiation from dental x-rays was harmless. And by the way, we could also state that low-level x-rays by chiropractors for foot and back x-rays are harmless. They are not. And from any form of X-ray, one single X-ray at any point in your life is enough to cause cancer at some other point in your life. And I will go into that in depth in my analysis. By the way, this research was doc- done by Dr. Wimman at Brighton and Sussex Medical Schools. And so, you get an X-ray, you're putting yourself at greater risk of cancer. Eat less meat and save the planet. This is from Louise Gray, from, and it says the following... The world needs to change to a more vegetarian diet to stand a chance of tackling climate change. This is a major UN report. I'll quote it. The group of international scientists said the greatest cause of greenhouse gas emissions is food production and the use of fossil fuels. But while the use of coal and oil could be gradually replaced by renewable energy sources like wind and solar, the world will always need to eat. As the world population increases, it is feared that the production of food will become the main cause of climate change and environmental degradation. The International Panel of Sustainable Resource Management pointed out that agricultural production accounts for 70% of global freshwater production, 38% of land use, and 19% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. The report that will be presented to world governments said that the only way to feed the world while reducing climate change is to switch to more vegetarian diets. Quote, a substantial reduction of impacts could only be possible with a substan- substantial worldwide diet change. Unquote. Now, this is interesting because about a year ago I was in a debate with four individuals who were all pro-meat physicians and scientists at a conference that was broadcast over the world uh, by a webcam and I said at the time that the impact on climate change was about 19%. And they said, not possible, ridiculous. Well, it's 19%. They were wrong. Unfortunately, their being wrong meant that people will not consider giving up a diet because they don't see the connection with giving up or changing the diet from a meat-based diet to a vegetarian diet as being significant. And yet, as I said, would you rather eat something that is locally grown in vegetables? nature, which does not adversely affect your health, nor uh, the global footprint. I said, remember, the methane from a cow, a pig, chickens, is substantial. Also, all the chemical fertilizers, the hormones that are used in raising them, and the water that they consume. I said, it takes about 70 gallons of water to grow a potato. It takes over 12,000 gallons of water what goes into an average person's hamburger. I said, a big difference. Again, when you are aligned with a particular ideology, it's rare that a person might actually acknowledge the rightness in someone else's beliefs and, and change their own. I know a lot of you are concerned about what you can do to protect your body. I gave part one the other day. I was going to get part two yesterday, but a lot of the stations were not on board today. You're all on board, so I'll get part two. And here's something that just happened to come in this morning when I was reading the latest scientific research. This is from the Henry Ford's Department of Radiological Oncology and published in the peer reviewed journal Radiation Research. Quote, delayed admi- antioxidant administration reduces radiation damage. And it talks about the following exposure to radiation and then putting in the antioxidants and how the antioxidants can then, over a period of 12, 24, and 48 hours, uh, like uh, selenium and vitamin C and N-acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid, alpha tocopherol and coenzyme Q10, what happens is that the, the radiation in any amount triggers what are called hydroxyl free radicals, which are very bad. And that's what causes radiation sickness. And these can continue to work off heavy metals like lead, cadmium, mercury, the silver in your fillings. As each time you chew or drink, it's released. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But in comes the antioxidant that traps that free radical, especially the hydroxyl free radicals. And that's what you want. You want as many of these free radicals trapped and eliminated from the body as possible. And if you do that, then you lessen your chance of having an adverse effect from the radiation. So it was just interesting that came today because I was going to do a little more on radiation today. First and foremost, understand how we're impacted by radiation. Radioactive materials that decay spontaneously produce ionizing radiation, which has sufficient energy to strip away electrons from atoms, creating two charged ions, or to break some chemical bonds, any living tissue. In fact, every single one of your 100 trillion tissue in the body, your cells in the body, can be damaged by ionizing radiation in any amount. But they are damaged in a unique manner. The body attempts to repair the damage, but sometimes the damage is of a nature that cannot be repaired or is too severe or widespread to be repaired. Also, mistakes made in the natural repair process can lead to cancerous cells. The most common forms of ionizing radiation are alpha and beta particles, or gamma and x-rays. Now, in general, the amount and duration of the radiation exposure affects the severity or type of health effect, and there are two broad categories of health effects, what are called stochastic and non-stochastic. Now, stochastic effects are associated with long-term, low-level, chronic exposure to radiation, let's say like living near a nuclear power facility. And by the way, when I was in Connecticut doing research, we went house to house to house and asked the women, anyone in your family have cancer, breast cancer in particular, who had no risk factors, meaning you didn't smoke, didn't drink. And in one block we found six women who didn't smoke, didn't drink, and yet young people had breast cancer. So this is how you find these hot spots. But no health authorities, no one from the National Cancer Institute had done any such surveys. We did them because we had heard... There were hotspots. Women who live within 50 miles of a nuclear facility have a higher rate of cancer, and the closer you live, the greater the cancer. And when you decommission a plant, as was done in the case of Philadelphia, near Philadelphia, the cancer breast ratio, risk of breast cancer went down substantially. Now, cancer is considered by most people the primary health effect of radiation exposure. Simply put, cancer is the uncontrolled growth of cells. Ordinarily, natural processes control the rate at which cells grow and replace themselves. They also control the body's processes for repairing or replacing damaged tissue. Damage occurs at the cellular level or molecular level, and that disrupts the control process, permitting the uncontrolled growth of cells, and you end up with cancer. This is why ionizing radiation in any amount is able to break chemical bonds in atoms and molecules, and that makes it a very potent carcinogen. Now, other stochastic effects also occur. Radiation can cause damage in DNA. The blueprints that ensure cell repair and replacement produces a perfect copy of the original cell. And so you change your DNA. Now, you, I, you already know you can change by eating hamburgers, hot dogs, french fries, pizzas, soft drinks, artificial sweeteners, coffee. Yeah, that'll change the DNA, and you end up with what are called mutations. You use radiation, and you really enhance that DNA mutation. Now, sometimes the body fails to repair these mutations. The older you are, older meaning over the age of 25, you heard me right, 25, you have far less capacity to repair properly the mutations. Over the age of 40, you're going to repair very few mutations compared to the mutations that will remain. The mutations that remain live, and these mutated living beings become almost like zombie cells. They attack other cells. They once were a normal part, now they're not. And then you end up with chronic illnesses. Well, when you have these, you're going to have terrible situations. The mutations can be teratogenic or genetic. Teratogenic mutations are caused by exposure of the fetus to, in the uterus and affect only the individual who was exposed. Genetic mutations are passed on to the offspring. Now, then you have the non-stochastic Health effects. Now, non stochastic effects appear in cases of exposure to high levels of radiation and become more severe as the exposure increases. Now, short term, high level exposure is referred to as acute, and many non cancerous health effects of radiation are non stochastic. Unlike cancer, health effects from acute exposure to radiation usually appear quickly. Acute health effects are what they're seeing in people who are going to die. Virtually all the people are going to die uh, who are working in those facilities now. And, and on the one hand, it's an extraordinary and heart-wrenching acknowledgement of the sacrifices these individuals are making their lives to help stop a problem. And I just hope that everyone understands and appreciates that that is the ultimate sacrifice. But they are suffering from acute uh, radiation toxicity. now radiation sickness is also called radiation poisoning it can cause premature aging and death and if the dose is fatal death usually occurs within two months now the symptoms of radiation sickness are nausea, weakness, hair loss skin burns, diminished organ function and uh, now then the question is and this is what really concerned me about Ann Coulter last night it's all right that she's anti-intellectual she has a right to be It's all right that she is anti spiritual, anti humanistic, anti progressive, anti balanced, anti fair. She has a right to be all those things. But she doesn't have a right to proclaim that her truth is the only truth. It is not. When she was talking about the safety and actual need for low level radiation, and I'm thinking, my God, surely Bill O'Reilly will stop her. Or invite someone on who knows what they're talking about to counter it. And that's not the case. Why is she even on Fox as an expert in anything except this morbid fascination with nothing of reason? There is no basis for setting a safe level of exposure above background or Stochastic effects. Many sources emit radiation that is well below natural background levels. This makes it extremely difficult to isolate its stochastic effects. In setting limits, the EPA makes a conservative or cautious assumption that any increase in radiation exposure is accompanied by an increased risk of stochastic effects. And some scientists assert that low levels of radiation are beneficial to health, and this idea is known as hormesis, and it is simply wrong and non-supported by facts. However, there do appear to be threshold exposures for various non-stochastic effects. For example, 5 to 10 REM, and you're going to see a change in your blood chemistry. At 50 REM, you're going to end up with nausea within hours. At 55 REM, you're going to end up with fatigue. At 70, you're going to be vomiting. At 75, you're going to have your hair loss within two weeks. At 90, you're going to end up with massive diarrhea. At 100 REM, you're going to end up with hemorrhaging, you're going to bleed to death. At 400, you're going to die, probably within two months. At 1,000, it's over. You're going to destroy your internal lining, you're going to end up with massive internal bleeding, and that's within one to two weeks. And at 2,000, damage to your central nervous system, loss of consciousness and death within minutes, days to hours at most, you're going to be dead. And by the way, the people in in that nuclear facility going in and out, they've already been exposed to over 1,000 REM. Now, how do we know that radiation causes cancer? Basically, we've learned through observation. When people first began working with radioactive materials, scientists didn't understand radioactive decay. And hence, they didn't know how to report it. As the use of radioactive materials and reports of illness became more frequent, scientists began to notice patterns in the illnesses. People working with radioactive materials and x-rays developed particular types of uncommon medical conditions. For example, scientists recognized as early as 1910 that radiation caused skin cancer. Scientists began to keep track of the health effects and soon set up careful scientific studies of groups and people who had been exposed. Among the best-known long-term studies are those of the Japanese atomic bomb survivor blasts. And it shows what happens not just immediately, but later. And what about all of the natives of the Marshall Islands where the atomic bombs were exploded? Long-term genetic defects and birth defects and death. How about all the thousands upon thousands of Native Americans who worked in the uranium mines out west? Long-term death, sometimes taking 20, 30 years to happen. And also, children are more sensitive than adults to radiation, and that's because children are growing more rapidly. There are more cells dividing and a greater opportunity for radiation to disrupt the process. And also, both the type of radiation to which a person is exposed and the pathway by which they are exposed influence health effects. Different types of radiation vary in their ability to damage different kinds of tissue. Radiation and radioactive emitters, like Radionucleotides can expose the whole body, direct exposure, or expose tissue inside the body when inhaled or ingested. And all kinds of ionizing radiation can cause cancer and other health effects. The main difference in the ability of alpha and beta particles and gamma rays and x-rays to cause health effects is the amount of energy they can deposit in any given space. Their energy determines how far they can penetrate into tissue. It also determines how much energy they are able to transmit directly or indirectly to tissue in the resulting damage. And although alpha particle and a gamma ray may have the same amount of energy inside the body, the alpha particle will deposit all of its energy in a very small volume of tissue. The gamma radiation will spread energy over a much larger volume, and this occurs because alpha particles have a mass that carries the energy, while gamma rays do not. Now, radioactive elements and compounds behave chemically exactly like their non-radioactive forms. For example, radioactive lead has the same chemical property as non-radioactive lead. The public health protection question that EPA scientists must answer is, how do we best manage all the hazards... Uh, that are present. The answer is, they're not. And, uh, by the way, radioactive iodine concentrates in the thyroid. We've been hearing that. Yes, it does. The chemical properties of a radionucleotide can determine whether and where health effects are going to manifest. To function properly, many organs require certain elements. They cannot distinguish between radioactive and non-radioactive forms of the element and accumulate one as quickly as the other. And that's one of the problems. So, you cannot have exposure to either and expect to go unaffected. You will be affected. Now, the question is, what do we do? Well, there are many things we can do. First, do not start using, as some people are suggesting over the Internet, the clays. I have seen so many people suggest, oh, we'll use... the zeolite clay because it will remove radioactive strontium, cesium, and 137, and therefore reduce radioactivity of liquid waste discharged into different places. Mm, not the case. Uh, there was a Swedish study that did show that zeolite, Z E O L I T E, had the capacity, when used properly, to allow some decontamination. Uh, When used, this was uh, near Chernobyl, but most people are going to be using the edible clays. Now, edible clays you've heard advertised like bentonite and red clay and Moroccan clay and fuller's earth and French green clay, and there are many of those. And generally people use those at some cleansing spa or over a one weekend fast. And uh, what they're not aware of is even though, yes, it does help with detoxification because it will absorb heavy metals... And that helps lessen some of the metals, at least those metals that are in the intestine, which are actually a small fraction. And by the way, there are hundreds of different types of bentonite clay alone. You better be careful because, did you know that some of these bentonite clays are 75% aluminum? You heard me right, 75% aluminum. So you don't want to be trying to cleanse the body of potential radiation exposure and end up with massive amounts of heavy metal toxicity. And so you don't want to do that. And so then what could we do if we don't want to be ending up um, contaminating ourselves in such a way? Um, Remember, because bentonite will bind and take out a great number of the harmful heavy metals, but it could at the same time end up uh, giving you aluminum in the process. So I would suggest the most important things you could do is eat chlorophyll. And in the chlorophyll mixtures, the two most important superstars for helping to impact the body by lessening the impact of radiation from any source and to detoxify the body and to protect the body is to flood it with high ORAC antioxidants and to use chlorella and spirulina. There's actually good science showing what they do. But all of the chlorophylls and all of the superoxide dismutation and all of the uh, glutamine and uh, glutathione and catalase are all beneficial. Where do you get those? You get them when you take your green juices or vegetables or compounding powders, which are your best. Chlorophyll is similar in structure to hemoglobin. And what you need to do is use oxygen therapies. Uh, oxygen therapy, like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, uh, is which introduces hyperoxygenation, is very beneficial. I would also use ozone. Um, I would also um, understand that what's really happening in the body, you're creating free radicals. And therefore, if you have an exposure and you're aware of the exposure and you can measure the exposure... Then you want intravenous vitamin C with intravenous glutathione. Protect the liver, and the vitamin C will help scavenge the hydroxyl free radicals better than anything else. As far as a nutrient, but not to be outdone is the R fraction of alpha lipoic acid. Baking soda is also very good. Now, you all, I'm sure everyone in this audience is familiar with sodium bicarbonate, as for example, if you've had radiation exposure from any source, background radiation from a uh, um, nuclear drift or maybe an x-ray then you can simply take a half hour soak in baking soda bath and that will draw radiation from your body also <clears throat> i would use and again that's sodium bicarbonate and plus mineral salts and i would use a half a pound of salt and a half a pound of baking soda in the bathtub then cysteine hydrochloride. It's an amino acid. Cysteine is very good at protecting your body against radiation and stopping free radicals that are producing, are produced by the ionizing radiation. And I would use methionine, cysteine, alpha-lipoic acid, taurine, T-A-U-R-I-N-E. They are all important. These are your sulfurated amino acids. They have that strange kind of bad smell to them, but boy, do they do a good job... In addition to the um, sulfur, sulfurated amino acids, uh, I would always use those in a buffered form, like taken with a protein shake. And then there's radioprotective herbs. Burdock root, mint, curcumin, turmeric, boswellia, periwinkle, basil, celery root, dandelion, and milk thistle. Always important. Then there are specific non, um, non-destructive drug therapies, the ACE inhibitors uh, for the kidneys, lungs, and um, growth factors, and also chelation and isotope competing agents uh, like EDTA and DTPA, iodide, uh, alginates, so all of your sea vegetables, having one or two servings a day of sea vegetables, wakame, kombu, ajiki, nori, Dulse, all-important. That will help protect your thyroid and bone marrow. Vitamin E, vitamin D, and will help treat fibrosis. And your antimetics to target the GI tract. I would also suggest anything that is anti, uh, anti-carcinogenic. High fiber, especially fiber from apple pectin and blueberry. Then you want to alkalize your body to remove uranium and other radioisotopes. And uh, buffered vitamin C, magnesium, zinc are good for that. But once again, the superstar is spirulina. It reduces the radioactive isotopes and therefore helps prevent the cancers. Aloe vera, two ounces, taken four times a day. Ginkgo biloba protects the body from chromosomal damages from radiation. South root will protect against radioactivity. Green tea, uh, 1,000 milligrams a day, unless someone's been impacted. Then the catechins, galate and epigallo, all of which are important in protecting the cells. Polyphenols, some dark chocolate. Um, and alpha lipoic acid is very important at 1,000 milligrams protecting the body. And uh, then the carotenoids. I would also use sulmerian because it's uh, it has very good effects at radio protection. And uh, then you're juicing, and I would juice throughout the day if I were exposed. And then, of course, the Citrus Flevanon protecting against the chromosomes being damaged by any form of radiation is Naringin, N-A-R-I-N-G-I-N, <coughs> and also the... Immunothalls, and um, those are also important, and that would round up my list of the most important ways of protecting your body from radiation exposure, and add that to part one, and you've got a very good program. Now, that doesn't mean you go out and start taking all these things. It means that when and if the radiation reaches your community, and you can see that it is there, then you'll want to, in a reasonable and responsible way, begin to implement a protective program by bringing these nutrients on an ad-need basis into the system. You don't do it all at once. You do it gradually so that you don't overwhelm your system. You bring in a few each week, and you just keep adding to them so your body is tolerant of it and not overwhelmed. I'm Gary Null. Back in a moment. Please stay with us.
1: So everyone has been talking about the Federal Reserve lately. I know a little about the Fed from college, but we only skimmed over it a little bit. Do you know much about the Fed?
0: Yes. I know that it is a privately owned central bank of the United States that has the power to control the money supply and the interest rates that banks loan money at...
1: What does this bank do?
0: The purpose of a central bank is to lend money to a government and to keep an economy stable.
1: But doesn't Congress already have the power to coin money and regulate the value thereof?
0: Yes, but it decided in 1913 to give that power to a privately owned bank. That idea was that political influences wouldn't be able to influence the money supply and that only a private corporation would be able to do what is best for the economy.
1: So, let me get this straight. Congress gave up its power to regulate money to a private corporation that they would now have to borrow from?
0: That is correct.
1: And how exactly does giving power to a private corporation to control the money supply of a country benefit the people of the United States?
0: Well, it benefits the people because it provides an elastic currency or elasticity to the money supply. This means that the Federal Reserve can inflate or deflate the money supply depending on the condition of the economy at the time.
1: I see. All I know is that if me and my buddies had the power to inflate or deflate the amount of money in circulation, we would be really tempted to do this for our own profit and benefit. Don't you think that giving the Federal Reserve that amount of power has the potential to corrupt them?
0: Absolutely. That is why in the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 the president was given the power to appoint a chairman, or head, of the Federal Reserve. The idea was to make sure that the Federal Reserve was kept in check by the representative of the people.
1: Yeah, but what happens if there is a president that is corrupt?
0: Well, hopefully that never happens.
1: Hmm, interesting. So, I'm still confused over this money borrowing thing. You mean to tell me that the Congress had the power to regulate money and gave up that power to a private corporation that it must now borrow from?
0: Yes. Okay, dude, you're really starting to annoy me. Get to the point.
1: So how does this process work? There is only a certain amount of money in circulation. This is why I'm confused.
0: Alright, here it goes. Congress wants to make a law that would provide federal money for schools the problem is is that it doesn't have enough money through taxes in order to do this what do you do when you don't have enough money and need something right away use up that credit card think of the Fed as Congress credit card so the bill for federal funding for schools gets passed the US Treasury calls up the Federal Reserve and says hey we need $100 million for the new bill we just passed so The U.S. Treasury sells $100 million in what are known as Treasury Bonds, or T-Bills, to the Federal Reserve. Basically, this means that the U.S. Treasury is selling debt to the Fed. Then, the Fed prints out some nice U.S. dollars, Federal Reserve notes, to the value of $100 million.
1: Word. So, the Federal Reserve will have to take some of its Reserve money from the other regional Federal Reserve branches in order to come up with the $100 million, right?
0: Well, not exactly. That $100 million is created because the Treasury agreed to go into debt.
1: Sue, the $100 million is created out of nothing.
0: It is created by agreement that the U.S. Treasury will pay back that money with interest.
1: So, who benefits from this then?
0: Well, everyone benefits from it. The schools get federal funding, Congress passes a law that benefits those schools and have a better chance of getting re-elected and the Federal Reserve gets interest payments from the U.S. Treasury.
1: Yeah, but what about the people that didn't benefit from federal funding for schools? Since $100 million is created out of nothing, doesn't that mean that their dollar loses value, like orange juice when you dilute and add water to it? I think that politicians and bankers benefit from this arrangement and not the American people.
0: How so smart I pants?
1: Well, if politicians can just walk over to the Fed and ring up the credit card whenever they want to, then they can act like they're doing something all the time. They can create government programs from borrowing money and by the time the bills are due, they are long gone. Also, Politicians have a way for paying for these programs without taxing the American people. Since people don't see an increase in their taxes, they don't complain. However, what really happens is that the purchasing power of their dollar goes down a little bit every year, which is a hidden tax. Bankers may benefit from this arrangement, because the more the U.S. government goes in debt, the more interest they can collect from that debt. So. The Federal Reserve can just sit back and let the government borrow as much as it wants, because someday the bills are going to be due?
0: You bring up good points, but I happen to disagree with you. The American people benefit tremendously from this arrangement. Under this banking system, if anyone needs credit, it is available because it can be created at banks. Under the old system, it was much harder to borrow money, because there was a limited supply of money. Look at the progress the United States has made under the Federal Reserve System since 1913. It has been the engine that drives our economy and keeps it stable. Without it, you would have to save much more in order to be able to buy stuff. Now, you can just borrow most of the money and pay it back at your leisure.
1: Yeah, but I hope you can see my point also. It is much more tempting for a government to go to war under this arrangement. Before the Federal Reserve, in order to go to war, the federal government would have to directly raise taxes or borrow a ton of money from a foreign country. Now, all the U.S. government has to do is sell some T-bills to the Federal Reserve and you have a war without having to directly tax the American people. Instead of directly taxing the American people, the value of the dollar goes down instead. This is how the war is in Iraq and Afghanistan which are not that popular at this time, have been paid for. The more money the federal government borrows, the more interest the banks make on its debts.
0: Yes, it makes it easier to borrow money for war, but is that necessarily a bad thing? Instead of having to borrow from a foreign bank at high interest, why not borrow from your own? Besides, the war was approved through the proper channels of government before we could agree to give the loan. We are just giving money to the representatives you chose in the voting booth.
1: Yes yes I know. But, there is enormous potential for corruption if both the government and the banks at the same time benefit from war. Also, there is tremendous power for corruption if a private corporation of unelected bankers of which we do not know who own the shares of the company and has never been audited, controls the supply of money for an entire nation. Since the federal government has to go to the Federal Reserve for money, doesn't that imply that the Federal Reserve owns the federal government? It seems like the enormous probability for corruption at the expense of the American people makes it unlikely that this arrangement is beneficial for the American people.
0: Well, Mom, I couldn't disagree with you more. Under a gold-slash-silver standard the average person would not be able to get the credit they need to purchase large items like homes cars, etc. I think the ability to borrow money easily has led to the standard of living of Americans to be higher than any other nation in the history of the world. Yes, this leads to a small devaluation of the dollar, but it is hardly noticeable as long as wages are adjusted for inflation.
1: Well it was great talking to you sir. I always love intellectual debate when the person I am debating is mature enough to debate without hurling personal insults. Thank you for your time.
2: I'm Gary Nall. Your thoughts? Those are just some different insights into the Federal Reserve. I'm sharing these because most people are confused about it. When they've heard me say that one branch of government, the Treasury, is borrowing money from the Federal Reserve, who then gives that money to banks at zero interest, at the cost of the bank, but then the bank is able to then get a percentage of interest paid back to it on money that it paid nothing for, that to me is an inside job. That is a form of corruption. This has gone on to the tunes of hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. And yet, name me one person who is a central stockholder in any of the Federal Reserve banks. You can't because it's secret. So we have no knowledge. It could be the Koch brothers. It could be the multinationalists, It could be the major cartels who are the people behind the scenes at the regional banks that get the profit and therefore can control the the value of investments. They're getting money at zero interest. So if they want to borrow a $100 billion and then use that to manipulate the currencies of other countries, to manipulate the price of oil, of gas, of food... They can do so. They have the power of governments. And in the end, we are never benefited from this. We are always less because of it, and we refuse to be honest about any of it. Your thoughts, however, 888 874 888 Happy to hear what you have to say for the remainder of the program. Your turn to call in. This is our issue of the day. 888 874 is my contention we should abolish the Federal Reserve and only have the Treasury allowed to print. And as far as, yes, it does make it very easy to go to war. It makes it very easy to spend unlimited amounts of money, even giving $36 billion to the nuclear industry as a gift. We call it a loan. It's not a loan. It's a pure subsidy. And when, if ever, has any nuclear facility ever come in on budget, it's generally two to three times more, and that's... Uh, That's just the beginning of it, and we have to pay it. Remember, they don't pay back anything. They're not held personally accountable for any losses, but we have to pay for all of it. And I think it's in time that we understood how we have been just hustled because of our lack of interest in this. Let's say hello to Lou from New York. Hi, Lou. You're on the air. He just played something off of YouTube, right? That's what we were listening to? Yes. Does he think that uh, society that did not use the Federal Reserve the way that we have over the past uh, close to 100 years, would have been able to uh, produce and have the presence on the Internet that we do in order for that segment to actually exist in the first place. It is his position that had we not had the Federal Reserve, we would not have had the standard of living. And I say that is not the case. It is not the Federal Reserve loaning that caused our standard of living. Our standard of living for the working class has actually gone down. It's been stagnant for the last thirty years. It has not kept up with in, uh, with cost of living increases. The average person's salary is uh, take home salary today against their standard of living is less than it was thirty years ago. And also, I do not think it is a bad thing to have higher standards of um, collateral before you purchase anything. It would then allow people a chance to stop and say, do I really need this? Think of how many things people purchase on easy credit, which is debt, that they don't need and uh, could live without. And then we st- if we had the capacity to buy anything we want with credit that is automatic, then what do we gain? I think it's been a weakness, not a strength. Thank you, Lou, for your call. I appreciate it. Adam from New Jersey. Adam, you're on. I'm enjoying your show, and thank you so much for all your good work. Thank you. I can't praise you enough. My comment is simply how is the best way, um, uh, in general, for people to get the word out to the general public when the media at large is unwilling to uh, express the truth regarding the Federal Reserve System? I believe that we need a series of programs, and uh, maybe have some independent hearings, not government hearings, that would be stacked with uh, pro-Federal Reserve people and throw in a token Ron Paul, I believe we have to have the real scholarship to take an honest look at the Federal Reserve, its policies, who's behind it, who controls it, how they've been wrong about everything. Remember, it was the Federal Reserve that caused 22% to 23% interest rates under Volcker back in the 70s, which caused half of all small American farmers to go bankrupt. And that was could have been completely prevented. But who took their place? The large mega, mega farming companies. And so everything they've done, they've done wrong. And they should yeah. be abolished. But unless the people know the truth, they'll continue to believe in the lies that the Federal Reserve is there to protect us. These quantitative easements have not helped a single American. They help corporations, major multinational banks. They do not help the average person yet. We're held responsible for that money. And sooner or later, we're going to look like Zimbabwe. How many trillions, tens of trillions of dollars can we print with nothing to back it up? A fiat currency, completely monetized... Until someone says, Excuse me, what do you have to back up this? You have nothing. You're bankrupt. As a nation, we're bankrupt. We're virtually insolvent. So I think we had better come honest with ourselves if we want to change anything. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very you, much. Mary. We're coming up to the end of uh, some of our land based stations. For those of you who'd like to continue on, we'll be continuing on for several more minutes here over the Progressive Radio Network. For the rest of you who have to leave us now, Sunday night, 8 o'clock, Progressive Radio Network, and Monday for a powerful beginning of the most comprehensive challenge to the nuclear industry and its so called safety standards that you've ever heard. Let's say hello now to Julian. Julian from New Jersey.
1: Hi, Gary. Thanks for everything you do. Um, the clip that you just played reminds me a lot about the things that I've been hearing about in the Zeitgeist films. And it really, I'm 25, and it really makes me question whether or not we should be operating in a money market sort of economy. Like, if, that's, if it's even worth it, because this money doesn't mean anything anyway. It's all fake. It's, it's out of nowhere. So, I don't know. I, I just think that maybe we should be reflecting on a different type of society which doesn't use money. Which
2: okay, uh, but and, well, that's not possible at this time. So, let us look at an evolutionary curve. Let's take your argument by half. Let's say that we should not be allowing the creation of debt by a federal independent for-profit corporation, quasi-government, and a few members are appointed by the president for political purposes, but let's say that the Fed could no longer, under any circumstance, bail out any institution. An institution would therefore have to go through structured bankruptcy, would then get rid of the people created the problems to begin with, and then the people invested would lose their money, but would come out of that structured bankruptcy and be able to be uh, rebuilt or repurchased or renewed, and the rest of the public would not then be uh, paying for that. Whereas if a small business person owning a bodega in the Bronx or a shoe store in Brooklyn or a dress store in Queens, if they couldn't make it, they're out of business. Right. right. All If major corporations can't make it, suddenly we have to bail them out. Yeah, because the,
1: then we'd have a true market economy. Then, then we, whatever was supposed to be there and could sustain itself would.
2: Do you know that there's not one of these individuals running these Fortune 500 companies that could ever survive running a small business?
1: Yeah, exactly. They have no experience.
2: They, they are anti capitalist Let me explain this again so everyone understands, Julian. Julian, every one of the corporate 500 companies are anti-competition They because... They buy up their competition so they can monopolize the system. They are completely against the free market and uh, conscious capitalism because they don't want to go head-to-head with you. So they survive on debt, unlimited amounts of debt. All the major banks, we should have let them fail. Every one of these damn economists were wrong. If we had to let Goldman Sachs go down the tubes, Bank of America go down the tubes, it would have affected the banking community. It would have affected Wall Street. It would have wiped the ass off those people, the greedy little bastards in Wall Street who deserve to have their ass kicked. It yep. wouldn't have affected another American because the people in America would have woken up real quick and say, my American dream is simply someone else's profit stream. Right. If the only thing I live for is to have so much mortar, concrete, wood, in a 1,500-square-foot space, then my God, have I gotten the wrong values in life. If they really want to be capitalistic, then for the first time since the Federal Reserve was founded, let them actually go head-to-head in a capitalist society without an advantage of having an 1,800-pound Federal Reserve gorilla in the room bail out all their mistakes, clean up all their mess. They're like the drunk that can throw up over everybody at the bar, and someone dutifully comes in, hoses everyone down, and says, okay, tomorrow we're going to give you all the alcohol you want all over again. We don't have capitalism in America. We don't have a free market, and we haven't. We have a rigged system, and it's corrupt from top to bottom. Hope and hope that the small business person working with their communities and community leaders will finally take back the power. Then that currency will mean something. Then they won't be diluting the currency we have and the value of the dollar. They won't cause hyperinflation or hyperdeflation. Values will stabilize, but not as long as the corrupt Major corporatist, not capitalist, corporatist, venture vulture corporatist are in control. All right. Okay. Great.
1: Thanks, Gary.
2: All the best to you. I'm looking at the clock. We'll take one more. No, we cannot take any more. I'm seeing the clock. We're out of time. I thank you all for your input. I look forward to sharing more Sunday evening at 8 p.m. here on the Progressive Radio Network. Have a nice day, everyone. Stay tuned for Danny Schechter.
0: show is produced in our New York City studio. The producer is Richard Gale. The engineer is Matt Bogart. All shows are archived by Joe Kemp. The chief archivist is Sharon Pride
1: and the program director is Jason Taubenthal.